Welcome to the Harbor Church Podcast. Harbor is here to connect people with Jesus and with each other. If you're looking to get connected, you can find more info at harborchurch.com. Now here's this week's message from Pastor Josh. So when I was a kid, I went off to a summer camp for a couple weeks, and it was the first time I ever got to do that. I can't remember what grade it was in, what I was in, but I was going to guess like third grade, give or take, just when they thought you were old enough to go spend a, you know, four or five nights uh, away from your parents. And man, I loved it. I was having a blast. And then somewhere along the second or third day, our cabin started to smell really bad. <laughs> started to stink pretty, pretty bad. And uh, we couldn't figure out what it was. We couldn't figure out what was going on. And we come to find out that one of the guys in the cabin had peed the bed. And, you know, it's tough. You're away from home, probably, uh, you know, out of a schedule and uh, just yeah, had an accident. But he was embarrassed, as most of us would be, and didn't want to acknowledge the mistake, the, the peeing of the bed. So he took off his pajamas with all the urine in them, and he threw them under his bed to hide them. And then the mattress that was wet, he just covered it up with a blanket if you know anything about little boys, they don't smell good to begin with. Their hygiene is not great. And then when you add urine in 90-degree days, it's got pretty bad. And at one point, I remember seeing him over at his bunk bed spraying cologne and, like, spraying cologne on his bed. And that's not that, like, abnormal. Like, today, if you went to, like, you, like, you went and, like, saw some junior hires, they're covering themselves in Axe body spray as if, though, that counteracts the sweat that they just had from gym class or something. Like, it's just a dumb thing kids do. So I didn't think too much of it. But I realized now that he was trying to cover the, the smell of pee, you know, with some cologne. And now eventually the counselors found it and they took his bedding and they took his clothes and they went and washed them and we got, you know, we got it straightened out. But I was thinking about that story when I was thinking about today's message and I realized the way that kid felt about his bed that he had wet is the same way that a lot of us feel about our families. We've got a problem. Something isn't quite right. Something stinks. There's a brokenness in our family. If you look statistically across the planet, but especially in our country, broken families are the norm. Broken relationships are the norm. If you look in your own family, we struggle. We've got people that don't like each other. We've got people that maybe are actively fighting with each other. We've got um, homes that have been torn apart. And when we look at our family and the issues, we treat it like that kid treated his bed. He, he thinks the smell is the problem. If I can just hide the smell, if I just put one more blanket over top of it, it'll keep the smell down. If I can just put some perfume on top of it, nobody will notice. And when we think about our families, we think about the brokenness that's in uh, some of our relationships, we just think, if I can just put a little perfume on it, if I can just, if I can deal with the effect that this is having, see, the problem with, with that is that the, the issue is the, is the pee. The issue is the, the cause that you want. You've got to get to the cause if you're ever going to deal with it. But as long as you keep dealing with the surface stuff, if you think the problem in your family is that somebody's in a bad mood today, that's, that's, not, that's not the problem. Fixing that temporary problem doesn't fix the real problem. The real problem is, is that we are very far from what it is that God designed us to be as far as a family goes. God has designed us to be the kind of people that honor him through our relationships. Whether you're single or married or you're a grandparent here today, God has designed us to bring him glory with our lives. And what we've instead done is we've looked to make ourselves happy, to make ourselves, bring ourselves honor. And when we've shifted this, what it's caused is it's caused all the brokenness that we see. 
And so if we're going to do a series on being unordinary, I thought we would start first with how God has called us to be unordinary families. And that, that starts at different levels. Um, and we'll talk a little bit to the singles, we'll talk to the marrieds, and we'll talk to the people that are parents. And I know some of you, your, your kids are grown, that doesn't apply to you, but you may still have influence here. God may have you at a place in your life as a grandparent or as an uncle or as an aunt, as just a friend of somebody, you get a chance to influence and, and help other people see the truth of what it is we're talking about today. And since today is Grandparents Day and we're honoring grandparents, I want the grandparents to help me out with that because as I say some of the hard truths that I have to say today as a pastor, you and you, your buy-in and you nodding your head and you getting along, that helps solidify for the people that are young around you that don't know if I'm telling the truth. You can sit there and be like, oh, I wish somebody told me this when I was this. I wish I knew that. Oh, he's, like that helps them go, oh, maybe I should pay attention. So your wrinkles and your gray hair and your scars, they serve to prove that you have a wisdom that other people don't have, so I need some help there. And on that note, I, I do want to take a second and just honor the, uh, everyone. If you are in here and you are a grandparent, would you please stand? Anybody in here that's a grandparent? So all the grandparents, let's give them a round of applause. Look around. These guys have earned it. Well done. You can be seated. Folks, today, if I forget, I forgot to tell last service, we've got a special gift for the grandparents, so on your way out, it's not like a set for the two of you, each of you can have your own, it's a tumbler out there for drinks, so it's got something on it for you, so at either exit, grab one of those grandparents, it's our way of saying thank you, thank you for all you do, the wisdom that you bring, uh, the fact that you spoil these kids sometimes, we love the free babysitting, thank you for that, and we hate that you send them back to us sugared up, which is... I guess it's a grandparent's right. Um, but uh, we're going to speak about a few things today that m are not fun to hear, but, um, and that's why a lot of preachers won't preach on them. But if we don't say them, if we don't hear what God's plan was, then we're never going to be able to deal with the cause. We're going to keep dealing with the effect, the brokenness. We've got to get to the foundational problem. So if we want to go back to what family was supposed to be, we've got to go all the way back to the very beginning. In the very beginning, God designed relationships. He created relationships. He created a single relationship, he created a married relationship, and he created families. And he shows us why he did that and what we're supposed to do to make those better. So if you don't have a Bible, I'll put it up on the screen for you. But we're going to go all the way back to the book of Genesis, and we're starting the very first chapter. In Genesis chapter 1, God is speaking into existence everything. He's speaking into existence the the planets, the galaxies, the solar system. And on the planet Earth, he's speaking into existence certain life forms. He's speaking into it plants and fish and animals, and then he creates a very unique life form. Out of all the life forms that God creates, creates that he speaks into existence, there's only one that he breathes into existence. He forms man out of the dust, and he breathes into him the life. Everything else that God ever made was just his words. We are the only creation that is the breath of God. And he did it for a reason. This is what it says in Genesis chapter 26. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image. And when he says us, that's God talking amongst himself. That's the Trinity, God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. He says, hey, let's make something in our image. Let's make something that looks like us to be like us. Well, why? So that they will reign. They will rule. God says, I'm going to create humans for the specific reason of ruling over everything, over the fish, the birds, the eyes, the animals, all the stuff that goes on and around the ground. So the next verse says, so God created human beings, and he created them in his 
own image. We are the only thing created to reflect the image of God. When you have babies, they are miniature versions of you. Yes, that's why they're rotten. But they're more than being miniature versions of you, they are reflection of their creator. Because God created us in his own image, in the image of God, he created us, and he created us male and female. So he makes two variations of the same creation, and it's the only one, it's, we're unique, we're, we're different from the animals, we're different from the plants, we're different from all the cool things that exist in this universe, because we're the thing that was breathed life into to look like God. And then God says this, he blesses them, and he said, be fruitful and multiply. Because there's kids in the room, I'm going to assume that you know what be fruitful and multiply means, okay? So God says, go, make more. Make more, not for the sake of making yourself happy. He doesn't say be fruitful and multiply so that you'll be happy. He's blessing, the happiness comes from the blessing that God's giving, assuming that you'll be fruitful and multiply, Filling the earth and what? Governing it. Filling the earth and ruling it. Govern it. Reign. God created you and I. He created the institution. He created human beings to reign and rule. And then he added a, a way for that to happen in unison with both of the genders coming together. And he called it marriage. And he created that institution. And that was a tag team effort to rule and reign. And if you came together and you produced offspring, that was a way of multiplying your rule and reign. See, this isn't taught anywhere. The purpose, bring that verse back up, please. The, ver the purpose of us coming together is that God says, listen, I have created my image. I have multiplied my image. And as you continue to multiply, it's just spreading my image around the planet. And I'm giving you some authority as you put me in authority over you. As you come under the authority of God, I work through you and spread my authority around the earth through reproducing all of these human beings, all these miniature images of me. It's called having dominion. God gave us the reign and the rule over to have dominion. That was the original plan. That's before sin, before everything broke down. Dominion's a hard word to understand. I get that. One of the pastors that I love to listen to is a guy named Tony Evans. Um, he's a great pastor down in Texas. He explains dominion this way. Um, bring up the quote, please. Dominion means ruling in God's behalf, on God's behalf in history, so that history comes under God's rule. It's this idea that God's plan was, as I am the Lord of these people, and as they multiply and they continue to fill the earth, if I'm continuing to be their Lord and they're continuing to grow and things uh, you know, get, get covered by them, I will be continuing to cover the world through that relationship I have with them. This dominion that he gave us to have over all the, all the areas of influence. Whether that area of influence is just your own home, or your relationships, or your family, or the things that God gives you as you expand your territories. God says, if you put me, number one, I will expand through you. I, my image will go everywhere, and my authority will be known. So the way I conduct myself at work, or at home, or wherever, reflects a God if I'm surrendered to him. The way that Kaylee and I have our marriage, if we do it properly, it reflects the relationship that God has for us. He designed marriage to mirror what he did for us. So I'm supposed to love Kaylee the way that Jesus loved his church, and Kaylee is supposed to love me the way the church is supposed to love Jesus back. And if we do it right, 
we set this beautiful example for people to go, man, I want to know more about that. And if I raise my kids right, and I show, and I show my kids what it looks like to have a father that loves them and does things for them, I'm modeling what my heavenly father has done for me, the way that I protect and care for them. And if I raise my kids right, then they look and they say, I have a father, I have a mother, I have a parent that I want to follow and that I want to be under because they're keeping me in a place of blessing, which is true for me right now as an adult under my heavenly father. I want to obey. I want to follow. It's not easy. And some of you, you're like, have you ever tried to raise my kid, Pastor? I haven't. (laughs) Your kid is half you. There's a reason it's pretty rotten. So let's look at how it is that God tried to get us ready for it. First, he starts with Adam. Adam is single before he's married. Yeah, I know, earth shattering, right? Wow, thanks for that. But a lot of people forget that. Adam, there's, there's a lot of time where Adam spends without Eve ever being on the picture. Most of Genesis chapter two is Adam by himself. See, in Genesis chapter one, God shows what he did. He creates relationships. He creates things. In Genesis chapter two, he shows how he did it. See, in Genesis chapter two, there's a whole lot of things that God does before he creates Eve. He creates Eve in verse 22, but in verse six, seven, eight, nine, ten, he's just, it says, the Lord God made this. The Lord God built this. The Lord God created this. The Lord God tells Adam to do this. The Lord God made Adam a garden to live in. Lord God put, put plants and trees in there for him to tend. The Lord God made animals and told Adam to name the animals. The Lord God did this. The Lord God, it's a whole bunch of the Lord God did this in Adam's life. We'll come back to the Lord God part here in a second. But what I see in reading Genesis chapter two, and I don't have time to read all those verses for you. You gotta go read them on your own. Is that God is preparing Adam in his singleness to be ready to receive a wife and move into a relationship. If you look at what he does, first off, he creates the Garden of Eden. That means Adam has a home, or at least an apartment. (laughs) You know what else Adam has? He has a job. God says, name all these animals, Adam. Get up every day, come name these animals. Some of you are like, I just love him. He's just amazing, so cute. You better go to him and say, hey, if you want to get with me, get a J-O-B. It's biblical. It's just biblical. That's all I'm saying, you know. Take it for what it's worth. It's fine. But Adam has a place to live. He has a responsibility. He has a job. And more than anything, Adam is walking and talking with God. Adam is in an active relationship with God long before he's in an active relationship with Eve. Some of y'all didn't write that down. Adam is not defined by his sexuality. Long before Adam identifies as the husband of Eve, long before he benefits from the relationship, the romantic relationship, he has to have a relationship with God. So long before... Adam gets to step into that authority role before he gets to step into that husband role, before he steps into that dad role. God is molding him and shaping him and and, and growing him. He has to prepare Adam to receive a bride. What we have today is a lot of men and women receiving a husband or a wife or a boyfriend. They're stepping into a serious relationship and they haven't been grown. They haven't been cultivated. God hasn't sculpted them. They're not ready mentally. They're not ready emotionally. They're not ready physically. They're not ready financially. And they're not ready spiritually. Long before Adam 
was able to step in and have the authority to say, Eve, let's go as a husband and wife and build a healthy family under God. Adam had to reach biblical manhood where he by himself says, God, what do you have for me? The reason that our relationships are so screwed up is because we don't go back to what it is that God designed. We want to jump straight into what makes us happy. You see, a lot of you think that getting married or finding someone to love you back is what's going to make you happy. You are looking at the benefit that God has for relationships as the goal. You have made the benefit. See, the benefit of having a healthy relationship where you love someone, they love you back, should be that you're happy. Make me so happy. And the benefit of having a child that loves you, that you love, that you're leading on the right path, is it should make you happy. But that is the benefit of God's plan as you make the goal a God-centered, healthy family or relationship. If you take the benefit and make that the goal, which is what the entire world has done, I want my relationship to make me happy. This boyfriend, this girlfriend, this husband, this wife, they will make me happy. If you are jacked up as a single, you will get married to somebody that is jacked up, and guess what? You will have a jacked up marriage. Here's a big one for you. If you have a jacked up marriage and you start having babies, you're going to have a jacked up family. <laughs> Shouldn't be that severe surprise. So why don't you go, those of you that are young enough or at a place where you're right now single, maybe you want to get married. Maybe, and for some of you, God has called you to be single, and that is a great thing. The Bible actually says you can do more single than you can married. So if you're single and God has you there, praise God. You don't have to step into it. But stepping into a relationship is also stepping into responsibility. And what God is saying is you need to step into that, not looking for them to complete you. It's one of the biggest cancers in families right now, in relationships. Because it looks good on Pinterest. You complete me. Oh, and my world was so empty, and then you filled my world up, and it made everything better. And the sun rises and falls on you, and I've never had a cloudy day when you smile. That crap, I mean, it's, it's great. It looks good. I'm like, it's great. I love it. It's, it's, a, it's an amazing Valentine's Day card if you want to do that. That's fine. But it's not true. Here's what I'm trying to speak over you. Having happiness in a relationship is a great benefit. But if you make it the goal, then what happens when you stop being happy? You're going to quit on that relationship. It's the reason that so many relationships are broken. It's the reason that so many marriages are abandoned. It's the reason that so many people fall by the wayside. Because if I only am with you to make me happy, when you stop making me happy, I no longer have anything to go for. But if my goal is not my happiness, if my goal is saying, God, how would you make me more holy? How can I further my dominion? How can I further... Uh, replicate your image through the world, through my family, if it's all about you, God, and what you're doing through me, then this person who I'm married to or who is my child, who is not currently making me happy right now, doesn't end my world. I'm not looking at them, listen to me, I'm not looking at them to complete me. I'm not putting the pressure on them to make me whole. I'm not gonna hold them to a standard that they'll eventually never be able to live up to. That's not fair to them, but that's what the world does. That's the ordinary thing that the world does. If you want to find true happiness, you're going to have to have an unordinary kind of marriage, an unordinary kind of family. You're going to have to be an unordinary kind of single who finds your identity, not in your sexuality, not in who you're with, not in the things that you think will make you happy. You find your identity under God, who is your ultimate creator, and then you can just kind of, whoo, 
I don't have to worry about all that. And if they are great to me, sweet. And if they're not great to me, I don't break, I'm not made or broken by their words or their actions. So I don't have to crumble every time it doesn't go the way I want it to go. But some of you are so held hostage by your relationships, by your families. If your mom or dad says something bad to you, you're done. If your boss doesn't pat you on the back, you're done. You're finding your identity, you're finding your joy in something that was never meant to be. It can be a benefit, but it's not supposed to be your goal. I see a lot of people write that down, but I'm still going to preach it. So God prepares Adam through singleness, but then you see God change it up. And God says this in, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 20. Adam gives, starts doing his job. Adam, Adam gives all the names to all the livestock, all the birds, all the wild animals. But there was no helper just for him. Adam's not dumb. He's looking around. He's like, everything is reproducing. Everything is growing. Everything has a counterpart except for me. There's no helper for me. God... You have given me dominion, you've given me authority to express, but I need help. I need help. Some of you, hear me out, because this is, this is a truth that most people aren't going to tell you, especially in churches anymore. If you don't want help, don't get married. That goes both ways. God has designed a husband and a wife to come together to help each other. It's why the two are no longer Two, they become one. You're no longer you and them. It's us. And you come together to help. It's the helping. Helping what? Helping make each other happy. No, that's a benefit. That's a byproduct. You are to help each other have dominion. You have now, you and them have created a family together. So it's now it's you and them making an us. And it is what, is what are we doing to express the authority to replicate the image of God in our life, in our workplace, in our home, and if we have kids, in our kids. If it's not that, then just stay single. Because that's what the benefit of marriage is, is that you get a helper. So it says that God created woman after he saw that there was no help for Adam. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and he closed up the opening. And the Lord God made a woman from the, from the rib and he brought her to the man. He brought her to the man for what? To help the man in his responsibility. We as human beings are given the responsibility of replicating God, of sharing that image, of saying, God, how would you have me influence my sphere, whatever, however big or small that is? And some of you have big influence and some of you have small influence. Whoever was given much is required much. I don't care if you're a one talent, a two talent, or a five talent person. You just worry about what God's given you and how you can make that focus on the kingdom that he has. You say, God, what does your kingdom look like as it is expressed through my giving, through my words, through my interaction? through my friendships, and if I have a relationship, now it's multiplied. How do I glorify you? And if you get to that point, now you start to see healthy stuff. But <clears throat> Adam is the story of a guy who no longer stays single. He gets a wife, he gets a helpmate. And God says, biblically, that if Adam, or the husband, falls under God's authority, then he is in the safest place to receive God's blessings. And if he is under God's authority, instead of doing what he wants, if the husband falls under God's authority and says, God, you're the Lord of my life and no longer me, then he creates a shelter that is a safe place for his wife to submit to him. Now hear me. Submission is a dirty word. We hate it. We don't like it. Nobody wants to preach on it. Nobody wants to hear it from their pastor, but it's very biblical. When it's done God's way. 
When it's done God's way, it's the safest place for us to be. I don't want to submit. The Bible tells me I have to submit too. It says that Kayla and I submit to each other and that I have to submit to God. And as I submit to God, I create a place that's safe for her to submit to me. Now, you need to understand when it comes to submission, submission is a word that has been broken by some very abusive men who've taken advantage of it. That's not God's fault. That's human's fault. And a biblical submission puts you in a place of safety. When I, even though I want to do what I want to do, if I lower myself and say, God, I don't have to call the shots. I will submit to you. You call the shots. I'm actually in a safer spot. Now, when I look at my life, I want to do that. I'm like, that looks like more fun. That looks like it would be better. But that is not a safe spot for me. God's blessing only comes to me when I'm under submission. And if I will do that properly, if I will submit to God, then I create a safe place for my wife to submit to me. That doesn't mean I rule over her. It doesn't mean I'm the big boss and I tell, no, no. It means that God has provided me a helpmate because Kaylee and I chose to enter into marriage. She made the choice to commit to me as the husband and I made a choice to commit to her as the wife that she is now biblically the helpmate to me trying to express authority and dominion in whatever little area God has given me. She and I are supposed to come together and we help make that something that it's no, it's not like she's helping me. She's helping us. And it's not like me leading her to get what me wants. Mm, Tarzan, mm, me. It's not like that. It's me leading her to get what God has for us. And I'm creating a place where she can submit to me. And I get it. Nobody wants to hear that because this is not what the world says is a good idea. The ordinary thing in the world is do whatever you want. Now, I do want to caveat that. Ultimate authority does not rest with the husband or with the parent. Kids, if your parents... You're supposed to obey and honor your parents, but if they tell you to do something that is against God, no, you answer to God. Wives, if your husband tries to lead you in a way that isn't under God, you don't answer to him, you answer to God ultimately. But if you can find a godly man who is submissive to God and allows God to, to work in him and through him, then you can safely get under it and go, hey, it's the responsibility is put on his shoulders. He's gonna have to be the one that answers for that. And that's scary, but that's what God's called us to, and it's actually the best place for us to find blessing and growth. And granted, it's two broken people learning to trust each other, and that's really hard. But that's what God has designed marriage for, and that's why marriage is very hard. But if we do it right, we're healthy. But if you notice, as soon as Adam and Eve get married, everything gets broken up. I'd meant to cover this verse because I know that I, I talked to some husbands who are like, well, well, my wife, she's just hard and, and, to get along with and she's just controlling. She's got all of this. And I talked to wives that have the same thing about their husbands, but something I'd like to remind husbands of is in 1 Peter 3, 7, it says in the same way, husbands, men, give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. Another version says, so that your prayers will get answered. Guys, if you're not acknowledging her, if she doesn't have input, if you don't appreciate her involvement, if you don't value her opinions, if you don't let her contribute, you're helpless. Why would God listen to you when you won't listen to the helpmate he gave you? That's what that verse is saying. I didn't get a lot of amens, but that's fine. I also love Adam's reaction when he finally gets a wife. This has made me laugh for the singles. When Adam finally sees Eve, the literal verse says this in verse 23. At last, the man exclaimed, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from the man. In the next verse, I read it a lot of weddings. This explains why man leaves the father and mother and is joined to the wife and the two are united as one, as I said. He says, at last, exclamation point. Thank you, God. 
And if you can't go at last, then don't get married. Because <laughs> you'll be having some other prayers later on. Dear God. <laughs> but if you notice, Adam names Eve. This will be called woman. He had the authority to name things. God had given him, the, God made animals and God made Eve, but God didn't name them. God let Adam name them because God was giving Adam dominion, rule, a chance to express authority. But when you have authority, listen to me, parenting, parenting is an authority and it's a privilege. And with authority and privilege comes responsibility. Adam was responsible for Eve. That's why once Adam and Eve get married, Satan shows up. Satan doesn't come to Adam when he's single. Satan comes to Adam once he's got his helpmate, and now he's more equipped to express dominion, because what do you think Satan's after, his happiness? No. Satan will let you be happy like a pig in slop. He doesn't care as long as you don't have any relationship with God and as long as you don't have that dominion. Satan was after their dominion. He was after their influence. He was after the power that God had given him. So he goes in to corrupt that. And he does it very sneakily. It says in, in Genesis chapter 3, verse number 1, that the snake was the shrewdest of all the animals that the Lord God had made. And one day, he goes up to Eve in the garden. He says, hey, <clears throat> God really say that you can't eat any of that fruit? Notice what Satan does here. He comes to them in the garden. He comes to where they live. If you do not think, grandparents, shake your heads yes, because I'm talking to some of the parents here. Parents, if you do not think that Satan will show up in the middle of your home, in the place that you feel comfortable, he will wiggle his way in to uh, the area where you're like, well, this is just me and my kids, or this is just me and my private life. You expect Satan to be out there in something very far away. You'll all of a sudden find that you've got an extra member of your family living in your house that you didn't know about. His name was Satan. He's taken up residence because he creeps in subtly, and then he makes a camp there. And then everything begins to go to chaos. And he shows up in the garden. Now does he show up in the garden? He shows up and says, hey, did God really say this? He starts questioning God. Do you notice how he did it? You notice that that verse says, can we bring that verse up again? That verse, like all of chapter one and all of chapter two, says the Lord God. The snake was something that the Lord God had made. Every single reference to God in Genesis one and two and three is the Lord God. And when Satan talks about him, he says, God. Because Satan will show up and he will subtly tell you he's okay with you having some God in your life. He's totally okay with you being here at church today. He's okay with you singing a few songs. He's even okay with you saying a few prayers. As long as you don't leave here with a relationship. Because God acknowledges who God is. God is creator God. God is all powerful. Lord God says that he is over your life. That you are submitted to him in a relationship under him. And Satan is okay with you having religion. He doesn't want you to have relationship. So you can play God all you want. Like, I, I like me some God. I got me some God. But if God isn't part of your life Monday through Saturday, Satan doesn't care if you have a little God on Sunday. He just doesn't want you to have a relationship with the Lord the rest of the time. So that's, not a, that's a not too subtle thing that he does. But then when he goes to Eve, he says what? He says, Eve, did God really say this? Now, do you notice who he doesn't go to? That wasn't an accident. Satan went to Eve because he wanted to flip the roles that God had created. Hear me out. He knew that God had designed Adam to be responsible to lead that family. And so he went to Eve to usurp God's plan. And he said, Eve, you make the decisions now. Eve, you call the shots for your family. Eve, you're going to be the leader of this tribe. Eve, you set the pace for the home. 
And if you think that's an accident, then you've fallen more prey to that than you want to admit. Because Satan knew that God's plan for dominion was to go through Adam, through Eve, through their children that way. When a wife gets under her husband and her husband gets under God, that is the best place for God's blessing. And when that happens, when that man gets under God's authority and he submits to God and his wife comes under him and submits to him, then their children should come under them and submit to to their parents. And that's the healthy channel that God has set up for blessing. And Satan comes in there and he knocks that all around and he hits your pride. He says, you should be in charge. And then he says, there's no wonder that he goes to your kids and goes, you should train your parents because your parents aren't smart enough. And he just loves to switch these roles. And what he does is he says, Eve, you make the decisions. And then when Eve steps out of her submissive role and becomes the leader, Adam steps out of his leadership role and he becomes the submissive. Yes, dear, I'll eat it. And he does. And it, 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 everything goes to hell. The family goes to hell. The family is in chaos because the roles got reversed. And we don't want to hear that. And we don't want to talk about it. But what we are acknowledging is an unordinary way that God has designed things to work. And listen, I know I'm speaking to a room filled with people that have seen the worst of the brokenness. There's many broken marriages in this room. Many of you were raised by a single parent. There's a lot of single parents doing it in here right now, uh, trying their best to raise their kids. I am speaking to the ideal situation that God would have. And so if you've already gone through it, you might be sitting there going, well, I was raised by just my mom or my dad, and I'm okay. By God's grace and mercy, you're here in spite of the brokenness. That's something to give praise about. But that's not something where you cross your arms and get mad at me and ruin it for other people who are still trying to figure out what's the best way for them to go forward. If you came through brokenness, praise God that you're here. If you're struggling it out right now in the middle of a broken family or raising a kid by yourself, praise God that you're doing it. Don't try to put that on other people. If you're there and you're going, yeah, pastor's right. It's hard doing this by myself. I would love to have a healthy, godly person as a helper in this. I wish I had a husband. I wish I had a wife. I wish I had this. I I love what pastor's saying. It hurts because it's not true for me. Don't get mad. Instead, encourage the people who haven't made the same mistakes you've made. You can help them. That might be why God has you at this stage in life. He might be preparing you for what's coming next, but you need to be able to receive that there is a better way than the way that you've done it. And we as a church family can help the rest of the church family. And when Eve makes the mistake and goes after the fruit, she is not the reason that we are not in the Garden of Eden. Heard some guys say that. Like, man, if women could just learn to control their hanger, <laughs> we'd still be in the Garden of Eden. It's funny because if you've ever been in a car with a person that's hangry, you're like, yeah, you know, I got to feed them real quick. The Snickers commercials become true. And that's not a sexist thing. That's both men and women. But we blame it on Eve, and it wasn't Eve's responsibility. God doesn't think it's Eve's responsibility. As a matter of fact, he had the Apostle Paul thousands of years record in in, uh, Romans chapter 5, verse number 12. It was by Adam's sin that sin entered the world. By one man's sin, sin entered the world. When Adam's sin, sin entered. Adam's sin brought death. It doesn't say when Eve sinned or when Adam and Eve sinned or when it was Eve's sin. She ate first. Why doesn't she get any of the credit, any of the blame? Because it wasn't her call to make. God didn't design it for her to make the call for the family. He designed it for Adam to make the call. What Adam should have said is, Eve, that's not God's best for us. We're going to do this. He's called the men. Dads, you have so much influence in your family, and unfortunately, the dads have abdicated their responsibility either for one reason or another. Culturally, let the wife do it. Let the mom do it. Pressure-wise, I just don't want to deal with that. You take care of it. But God says, I'm holding you accountable for every decision you make, even if your decision is to abdicate your authority. 
Notice when God shows up in the garden to hold him accountable. God shows up in verse number eight. It says, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife, they heard the, the Lord God walking in the garden. They hid from God among the trees. And the Lord God called to him, Adam, where are you? He called to the man. He didn't call to Adam and Eve. He wasn't coming to hold Eve accountable. Adam was holding Eve accountable. God was holding Adam accountable. I know nobody talks like this, but men, I'm talking to you. Man up. You are accountable for your family. God is asking you. He's giving you, he's giving you more influence than you recognize. I cannot, I, I'm so grateful that I have a wife that comes alongside and helps me raise our kids. Kaylee, like most women, is gifted in a way to just be sympathetic and nurturing to our kids in a way that I really can't. And I see how God has caused us to compliment. But I was a youth pastor on Cape Cod for 10 years. The amount of kids that I, I saw and dealt with who their issues went back to not having a godly or a healthy male role model, man, the damage that is done there, because Satan knows that God has given you a special way to influence that moms don't have. Dads have such a power to influence. And Satan loves to corrupt that. He loves to pull that out of the family. He loves to, to take that away. And some of you are uncles here or brothers or grandpas, and you might have to play the role of a godly man in a child's life because their dad did abdicate that responsibility or forfeit that, that responsibility and that privilege. But when God shows up to Adam, he says this to Adam, hey, <clears throat> because... You listen to your wife. This is verse 17. Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you to eat, the ground is cursed. The curse came because, Adam, you loved your wife more than you loved me. And see, Adam's like, well, you can't be mad at me, God. I love Eve. And so I just said yes to the fruit because I love her. And we do so many stupid things because we love somebody. Adam's, God's saying, Adam, if you really loved Eve, you would have made it so she didn't have to get kicked out of the garden. If you really loved her you, and, and did, did your responsibility the way you're supposed to, you guys would still be in the garden right now. But you let your love for her supersede your love for me. And my authority over you is more important than your love for him. I don't know how many parents I hear, oh, I just love my kid, that's why I do this. You love yourself, and you want your kid to like you back, and that's why you never tell them no. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm guilty of this too. Don't get mad at me. Just, I mean, get mad at me. I don't care. But... <laughs> But I'm going to tell you, it's my job as your pastor to tell you what you don't want to hear. It's more important for you to love your kids in a way that brings them under God than it is for you to love them in a way that makes you feel good in a moment. And then they reject God, they rebel against God, they go do whatever they feel like. And then you're left picking up those broken pieces. God put responsibility on your shoulders for a reason, to raise those kids right. Well, I don't know how to raise these kids. It's a great point. That's why the Bible gives us a little bit of a clue. The Bible tells us in Ephesians... It tells us specifically the importance of raising these kids because it says this, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. This is the right thing to do. The right thing, with, if you're on the debate of right or wrong, obedience is right because it trains us that we have a responsibility to obey God. My response to my parents has trained me how to handle my response to my heavenly father. And a lot of times I want to tell God no because I want to do it my way. And God lets me get away with a lot but rebellion is never one of those things. God doesn't say I have to like what my parents say. <laughs> the amount of times I don't like what God tells me to do <laughs> is probably greater than the times that I do like what he tells me to do. It's not about liking it or even agreeing with it, but it's about obeying it. 
when I teach my kids that, what's the byproduct? Look at what the next verse says. This should, this should be a wake-up call for some of you. Honor your father and mother. It's the first commandment that comes with a promise. Out of everything that God asked us to do, obeying the commandments, honoring our parents is the first one that has a promise. What promise does God give to us who obey? If we, if we learn to obey our parents, the promise is this. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you have a long life on the earth. The quality of life that you have is directly linked to the way you respond to your parents. So parents, the quality of life that you give your kids will be directly related to your ability to help them learn how to obey and follow you. If you're in here and you're a kid, you're a teenager, you're a young person, your quality of life, however many years God's given you, 30 years to live on this earth, 130 years to live on this earth, it will be dramatically better when you learn how to appreciate and honor your parents. And I know some of you have some pretty rotten parents. Some of you, your parents aren't as bad as you thought they were. Some of you uh, that are in here dedicating babies to gay, today have a greater appreciation for your parents now because you've had a kid. And so they're not as bad as you thought they were, but there's also a level that says, hey, these parents, these parents deserve the honor whether, because of the position, even if the people themselves are bad. And how does he tell us to do it? Well, verse number four is, is your takeaway. It's your one, two, three, four on how to raise kids. It starts off and it says, before we get in there, he says, fathers, fathers do not provoke your children to anger. It's, it's literally saying, hey, fathers, you're, you're the one that's responsible. You're the one I'm going to hold accountable. Ladies, it's not taking you out of the equation. The first two verses says, honor your mother and father, obey your parents. It's assumed that the mom is a part of this. Unfortunately, in a lot of homes, the mom does all of it. But God says, biblically, I'm going to hold the dad accountable. Here's what I want you to hear, dads. Even if you abdicate all of it and you say, the mom can pray with the kids. The mom can take the kids to church. The mom can raise them. The mom can do that. I'm here to just to earn the bread, bacon. You know, I'm here, I'm here to do that. Even if you abdicate all of your responsibility, one day you will stand before God and you will give an account for everything he's given you. First and foremost, for all of us, you will stand before God. When you take your last breath, whether you believe in God or not, you will take your last breath and you will stand before him. He's going to ask you, did you believe in Jesus Christ? Did you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord or not? That's the biggest thing you have to give an account for, and that's all of us. If you're a dad or a husband, you're also going to have to then start giving an account for what you did with the authority that God gave you, the authority that you misused, the authority that you uh, abdicated the authority that you abused and the authority that you lived out well. You're going to have to give an account for it. And he starts by saying, bring up the verse, please. Fathers, do not, do not pr uh, provoke your children to anger. So what it's saying there is, is like, listen, guys, don't provoke. Number one, he, it starts with dads, but moms and dads, you can take it together. Don't provoke. He's basically saying, create an environment of encouragement. Don't, don't make it hard for these kids. Some of you, Wicked good at that. Some of you, you grew up in a home that was just very, and at the, I mean, I need to, you, gotta, you gotta make this hard. These kids aren't gonna be anything if you're not making it hard. God says, listen, make it an encouraging environment. Grandparents, some of you, you're too encouraging. I'm just gonna say, I don't need any more dumb toys that make noise. <laughs> but it is your right and prerogative, so you do whatever. But it says, it says, it's not just about not provoking them. So it's not provoking. You do create an, an, an environment that's encouraging. But then it says, bring them up. Bring them up means to nurture kids, to raise kids. It's talking about the same thing as raising a garden, bringing up a garden. What it's talking about there 
is this idea of putting things into their life that will flourish later on. In Proverbs chapter 22, in a minute, we're going to dedicate all these babies, and we're going to give them a certificate, and it's going to have Proverbs uh, 22 on there. And in Proverbs 22, verse number 6, it says, direct your child or raise up a child on the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. A lot of people have misinterpreted that verse and says, if I just take my kids to church, then they're going to turn out great. That's not what it means, because that's not true. (laughs) What it does mean is that, and it's not just for parents, because this could be for grandparents or aunts and uncles or whatever. If you plant some seeds of God's goodness in a child's life, then God will bring those to fruition when he needs to. So what that means is it doesn't mean if you raise your child in the right way that they'll never go haywire. But it does mean that you've put a seed in their life that God can have a hook in them and go, oh, hey, get back here. One day. You know how I know that's true? Because in this room, there's a bunch of us that acted like idiots when we were in our 20s. And somewhere along the line, we had a mom or a dad or a grandma or grandpa who had put something in our hearts that it went, hey, maybe you, don't, maybe you need something bigger than you. And God began to reel you back into church, reel you back in towards him because there was something planted in you. So that's just saying, hey, instill the best stuff for him. It may not flourish when you want it to flourish, but you put that in your kid and watch it take hold later. If you had caught me in my 20s, there's no way you'd be sitting there going, I want that guy to be my pastor someday. <laughs> Don't think about that too much, okay? But what I'm saying is God is gracious to take some of those things and, and use them later on in life. That's why it then says not only do you bring them up, but then it says to, to, to discipline them, to, to treat them. And this is, this is a hard thing for people to understand because the world has a broken idea of discipline. Biblical discipline is correction with love. Correction with love. Some of you were disciplined wrong, and so you have a, a poor understanding of discipline. Discipline is not a bad thing. Discipline those of you that are struggling with what does it look like to discipline my kid, you are supposed to break their will without crushing their spirit. Some of you didn't shake your heads yes because you've never had a battle of a will with a two-year-old yet. You gotta break that will, that very rebellious, sinful will that's in that kid that came from their parent and probably from their grandparent. Just to make sure I'm hitting all the buttons today. You have to break that will of disobedience and rebellion without crushing that spirit. Some of you won't discipline your kids because you were told that that's a bad thing. God doesn't make mistakes. He says, listen, if you will correct with love, if you will break the rebellious will without crushing the spirit, it will be better for you. This is what he says in Proverbs 29, 15. To discipline a child produces wisdom, but a mother is disgraced by an undisciplined child. That word disgraced means shame. It's shameful on you if you do not discipline your kid. The shame will fall on you when they grow up to be a punk. When they grow up to be greedy and selfish and egotistical and the way they treat other people poorly is because you never taught them how to treat people properly, the shame goes on you. They'll have to deal with their own shame, but their shame transfers onto you as the person who when you had the opportunity, you didn't discipline them correctly. And then it says in the, two verses later, discipline your children and they will give you peace of mind and they will make your heart glad. The way you discipline your kids actually keeps you from dealing with grief later on. You can have joy and peace or you can have the grief of I didn't discipline them right. And I understand discipline means like it's, it's hard to understand discipline. It's hard to get there. But God is saying that is something I want you to instill in them. I can't believe we live in a day and age where people go, um, do you want to go to church? Are you smoking crack, parents? 
You know how many times my parents ever asked me what I wanted, especially when I was a kid? Do you want to go to school today, Josh? Heck no. Do you want to eat your vegetables? Oh, yeah, I'd love some Brussels sprouts right now. What? You don't ask your kid that kind of stuff. You're the adult. You're supposed to instill in them the things that they need. It may be that you're asking them if they want to go to church because the question really is, do you want to go to church? I'm out of time, so the last one says, I really want to go. The last one says instruct them. The last part of that is an instruct them, and what instruction means is instruction means you're giving them the things that they need, the guardrails that they need for when you're not there to be the guardrails. You need to give them some things so that when they grow up and they start making decisions and mom and dad aren't around to punish them or to congratulate them, they still make the right decisions. And that is not an easy thing to do, and that's why we come together. And if you're here and you're doing it alone and you don't have parents to help you out or you don't have a spouse to help you out or you don't have friends, that's why God has given us a church community. And that's why God says, hey, listen, some of the best things you can get, if you got messed up by somebody, and that's many of us in this room. You had somebody do something to you that hurt you. And so you're bro the brokenness that you've experienced in a family or in a relationship is creeping out. And you don't even know if you can properly love this kid right. I believe that God, if you will connect yourself to a body, a church body, God has used the body in a way to bless people to help cover in some of the deficiencies, some of the areas where you're like, I don't know. It's almost like if you got in a connect group or made a friend, God might give you somebody who's, who's got some experience and can say, hey, let me help you with this. Here's something you're not seeing. The amount of men and, and people that have spoken into my life in areas where I was blind, they paid the stupid tax already. They're just helping me not fall into that same thing. Some of you, and I'm talking to the grandparents especially, but some of you, you've paid the stupid tax and you're doing this. Watch what happens to her. <laughs> oh, he doesn't know what's coming. Yeah, it kind of feels good because they're punks, but maybe God's put you here to say, hey, let me help you. Let me, let, me, let me give you some stuff that you don't know. And it may not be your own family member. It may just be the person sitting next to you. But I believe God's got something for all of us, an area for all of us to grow if we'll just surrender to him. But it's going to require the adults stepping up and modeling for the, the kids what needs to happen. I was on a safari in Africa, and the guide, the, the ranger goes, hey, he's telling me the story, and I, I'm one of those people that, like, I have ADD, so a story draws me, and I'm like, okay, cool, what's going on? He goes, yeah, he goes, because we just seen a herd of elephants. He goes, one time we had a herd of elephants, and they go, started going crazy. Start going crazy, and they're knocking down trees, and they're ripping over branches, and then they just start killing other animals. They were killing the rhinos. They were killing any little animal. They were beating them up, picking them up, slamming them. They're just killing animals and destroying vegetation, and we couldn't figure out what was going on. And he goes, and then we realized, oh, all of the adult elephants in that herd had been hunted for their ivory and been killed or had gotten a disease, and all of the elephants that we were looking at were technically young elephants. They're still huge, but they're baby young elephants. They're, they're these young bull elephants, and so they're going nuts, and so we went to another herd further away and took some of their adult elephants, and we transported them to this herd, and when we dropped the, the mature elephants in the herd, they got down. They saw those dumb bull elephants acting crazy, and he goes, it was the sight to see. The, the mature elephants got out, and we're like, and he goes, they start like flapping their ears and they're and he goes, they go over and they, they start beating the little, the dumb elephants like with their trunk and they're like, knock it off and they run over and they pull up to them and they flap their ears real big and they just keep walking around he goes, they're making all this noise and then the young elephants that were acting stupid stopped 
He goes, they just looked at him, and the big elephants flapped their ears, and they walked around. He goes, and if you could, if you could understand elephant, it was almost like they were saying, you're acting like an idiot! You're embarrassing us in front of all these tourists! Do you understand what you're doing? Knock it off! And he said when the adults, the mature ones, began to live out and represent what it was supposed to be, when they modeled maturity, the younger ones got under line, in line. And they said, oh, it could be like this. So that's why I'm glad that our church has little babies to dedicate and grandparents to thank for it, because we need all of that. The young ones keep us young, and the older ones keep us in line when we operate healthily inside the roles that God's given us. Would you all stand so I can pray over you, please? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for what we get to do here today. Thank you for the babies that we're about to dedicate. God, thank you for the families that are in this room. God, thank you for the love that you've poured over each and every one of us. God, thank you that you are the kind of gracious God that although we screw this up, I know I'm guilty of screwing this up time and time again, that you love us. You loved us so much that you died for us. God, you loved us so much that you provided a way for us to have salvation, to have forgiveness. God, as our Father, you sacrificed your only begotten Son to make sure that the rest of us could be rescued. So Lord, I pray over the person right now under the sound of my voice that needs to know you better. God, there's somebody here under the sound of my voice. Maybe they're watching online or maybe they're listening to this on the podcast or maybe they're standing in this room right now. But God, they need to make a decision to accept you as their Lord and Savior. To make a real choice to have a Lord, to have a relationship and not just religion. So God, I pray that person would right now invite you in, accept you as the God of their life. Let you sit in the driver's seat and call the shots for, the, for a change. God, I pray they would make that choice. And I pray, Lord, over every family, every relationship, every single person, that we wouldn't get wrapped up in what we want. Instead, we would find what you want for us. God, let us make the goal a better walk with you and not our own happiness. And God, we will trust that happiness will come when we get our priorities in line. God, help us live that out. Lord, be with everything that happens here today. Bless the grandparents as they try to influence the next generation. God, be with these babies that their parents would have the, the insight and the strength to, to lead them properly and lead them to know and follow you. God, we thank you and we praise you. It's in your precious and holy name that we ask all of this. Amen. If you'd like to support the ministries of Harbor as we bring the hope of Jesus to our community and around the world, you can visit harborchurch.com give or text any amount to 84321. Thanks for listening. See you next week.